Father God, thank you for the opportunity to serve you, to love you. Thank you for these wonderful folks I call my family, my friends. And just pray you bless them and encourage them. May we be, may we together just honor you, love you, and worship you. And may we love each other as you've called us to love. Bind us together, Lord. Draw us together. And may your grace be known in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's a guy named George Munsing, and he tells this story about his, how his friend was reminiscing about his father. And he told George of an experience from much earlier about the summer when his sister was looking for employment. And so she had two job possibilities. One she wanted very much, and the other one, well, it was a second choice. She didn't really care for that one too much. Well, as you can imagine, the second choice job came up first, and she was offered that job. She wanted to hold out for the other, but she didn't know if, she, if the other was going to come, so she went ahead and accepted her, for her summer employment. A few days later, as you would expect, the first job, the one that she really wanted, became available, and she wanted to quit her first very much and go to the second, so she went to her father to talk about it. She said, Dad, I have a problem. And she told him all about it. I want this job. I don't want the other job. But I'm already in this job. I want to quit so I can take this other job. And he looked her straight in the eye and said, did you take the first job? Yes. Did you promise that you would work there the entire summer? Yes. Then why are we having this conversation? <laughs> she gave her word. How strong is our word? How dependable can our words be? In the Apostle John's first letter, he wrote, Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Let what we say match with what we do. Jesus said in Matthew 7, You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles are they. So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad trees bear bad fruit. You will know them by their fruits. Their actions, not just by what they say, but by how they live. In Deuteronomy, Moses in his sermon to the people said, You shall be careful to perform what goes out of your lips, just as you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God, what you have promised. In Matthew, the Lord Jesus, when speaking about the Pharisees, says, Woe to you blind guides who say, Whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated. The point being which Jesus exposed is that the one vow is binding while the other is, an, is not. It gives the person a loophole to say, oh, it's not really matter. It's like crossing your finger. And See, I had my fingers crossed. <laughs> Earlier in Matthew, Jesus says in Matthew 5, But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem. For it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black, but you let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is evil. Let your word be your word. A lot of times we'll make a promise and we try to solidify it with a statement. Like saying, well, my mother's grave or stick a needle in my eye or something like that. Like, hey, I'm gonna... Why don't you just say it and live up to it? Our word can be solid if we follow through. It is important that our words match our lives and our lives match our words. We call this integrity. God keeps his word. He is faithful to his word. His word is truth. What he says he will do. In Hebrews it says, it is impossible for God to lie. In Psalm, the psalmist said, 
You are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are truth. Psalm 119. And Jesus said of his words in Matthew 24, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. The truth of God's word is solid and sure. Jesus said in Matthew 7, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Now, my words are sand, but God's words are truth and solid as a rock. God's words are trustworthy and true. God does not lie. God does not find loopholes to get away from fulfilling his will or his word. Who does he answer to anyway? He is God. God does not need to make an oath like, if I don't do this, he doesn't do that. His word is his word. His yes is yes, and his no is no. God doesn't make excuses. What he says is who he is, and who he is is what he says. This is why we can trust God. We can trust his word, trust his will, trust what he will do, trust what he has said. You know, the foundation of society is founded on a word. But whose word? Our lives are founded on a word, on the word, or a word, but whose word? This is why when his word is in me, I speak the truth. When his word is in you, you speak the truth. I speak his word, and his word gives life. His word brings life. His word brings healing. His word overcomes. I want my words to bring healing and help, so I'm going to rely and trust on God. I want his life to be in me. I want Christ to live his life in me. So I challenge us today, live in his word. Stay in his word. Speak his word. Know his word. When you live in his word, you'll speak the truth. When you speak his word, you bring life, you bring Christ, you bring hope, you bring forgiveness. Let us speak his word and live in his word. And boy, will we see amazing things happen. Lives will be changed. And so let's go to Matthew, Malachi 2 as we continue our study of God's Word. Again, Malachi means my messenger. The message, God's message is being spoken through this man. Malachi is the prophet of God to the remnant who has returned from exile that came from Persia or modern-day Iran, Iraq area to the land that God promised uh, to them, the region of Canaan where they had lived there for several centuries. In that time when they had returned back from exile, they had rebuilt the, the temple, they had be, rebuilt the city, they rebuilt the wall. And so the rituals and sacrifices were reinstated in practice. But over time, as time went on, there sort of became, uh, God's word became burdensome. His laws became mundane. And they began to neglect the things of God. They began to compromise His word and law. They, they were apathetic to go what God wanted. God desired for His people to reveal Himself to the world. But their words and, and were fickle and idle because they were no longer trusting God's word. Their actions were selfish in their judgment poor. They sought other things and neglected the things of God. We are to live in his word, meaning his word is our priority. Their actions begin to mimic their fickle words, and instead of healing and life, pain and despair begin to set in. So let us live in his word. So number one, imitate God by worshiping him. Malachi chapter 2 verse 10 says, do not 
Do we not all have one Father? Has not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously, each against his brother, so as to profane the covenant of our fathers? Judah has dealt treacherously, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. As for the man who does this, may the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob everyone who awakes and answers, or who presents an offering to the Lord of hosts. So in Psalm 115, the psalmist writes about idols and the futility of worshiping idols. For they're powerless. They have no eyes, so they cannot see. They have no ears to hear, no mouths to speak, no noses to smell, no hands to touch, and no feet to walk. They're unable and without life. They're just simply a stone image. Then the psalmist writes, Those who make them will become like them, everyone who trusts in them. Whom you worship is who you become. Uh, who you mimic is who you become. The more you know who God is and the more in awe of, you, of him, the more you will seek to live as he is. And, of course, in Ephesians it says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. We will walk in love. When Malachi looked over the landscape of his people and saw them living contrary to the law of God, he was sad and frustrated. There was conflict among the people. There was division. The focus was on themselves and not on God. They lost sight of their identity of who they were in God. They lost sight of their history, their heritage. They forgot. And when you forget, you fail to worship. Malachi saw conflict and division among the people. Why do we deal treacherously against each other? Asked Malachi. That's a question we have to ask today. Malachi asked the first question, Do we all not have one father? Malachi may be referring to Abraham as their one father, or he may be referring to God. I see him referring to God because of the next question. Has not one God created us? This is a very interesting thing that you see in scriptures called Hebrew parallelism. They'll say one thing and then say it, exa- say it the same but in a different way. It's not, it's not exactly the same but different. You can't really say that. For example, in Psalm 102, it says, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry for help come to you. See, notice how they say the same thing twice, but differently. That's called Hebrew parallel. You see these all over the Old Testament, especially as you read Proverbs and Psalms just come up, and the prophets will come up. It's a beautiful picture of how it's written. Well, our origin is in God. Our identity is in God. Our direction and lifestyle are in God. All that we are about is in God. And as we focus and put and make him that priority that he is to be, we bring the hope and life and peace that this world desperately needs. Our direction and lifestyle are in God. All that we are about is in God. We cannot forget. The first thing to observe is to remember is to worship. To remember is to remember how God has taught you and been there. Remember that song, all my life you have been faithful. Know those times. Look through your life and say, yes, he's been faithful. And celebrate him, worship him. Even in the difficult moments, you can say, yes, he's been faithful. The people were called to remember who God is and what he's able to do. The people were to live their lives knowing that God walked among them. We too are to live knowing our God lives within us. 
Since God is our creator and father, we're to live out his character. We are to know his character. That means he created us to know him and live as he desires, not as our sinful desires compel us to live. Yet what we find is that in our culture, our history, our societies, which we have built, we are not living as God desired, but instead we are following and obeying the deceitful desires of our heart. And instead of bringing life, we're bringing death. The people of Jew, uh, the Jewish people in Jerusalem at this time of Malachi live, ha, living have forgotten who their God was. In our history, as you scan the history of humanity, you see decisions are made contrary to the law and heart of God. Instead of revealing the compassion and love of God, we have certainly revealed the hate of man. And as you read the pages of history, all you see is that. God made a promise for Israel that he will be their God. They will be his people. But the thing is, if you're his people, you will act like it. And they didn't act like it. God wanted his people to be a generous and compassionate people. In Deuteronomy, Moses said this, If there is a poor man with, with you, one of your brothers, in any of your towns, in your land, which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart nor close your hand from the poor brother. You know, if you were to read Acts 2, 42 through 47, you read the, the actions and the, the lives of the early church and what they did. They were selling their property, giving the money, and says, give it to whoever they need. That was what was supposed to happen at the temple. It was not something new, but it became new. See, he wanted his people to listen and obey. He wanted his people to treat each other fairly in a manner of care and concern. He wanted them to be truthful, loving, mindful, and filled with all goodness. And instead, the nation had succumbed to fighting, bickering, hurting, conflict, division, and a grab for more. Boy, isn't that what we see today? Just a grab for more. They were not living in the word, but living out another word, their own heart and their own desires. As a result of this, the sanctuary had been des- desecrated because the men bringing their sacrifices are brought with a deceitful heart, trying to find forgiveness for a wrong they don't want to repent from. Malachi, as he viewed the people, he saw the immorality grow. He saw the pain of destroyed relationships. He was seeing the destruction of the family. He saw selfishness and greed and God removed. Malachi is like a picture today. One of the things God said to his people is don't marry or get involved with people of the land that have lived in the land before, you, before them. Don't, li- don't marry them. Get them out. Instead, wipe them out, he says. And there's a reason. If you were to go to the book of Leviticus, Leviticus 18, it's kind of an already chapter, but it's all about the immoral sexual relations where God says, don't do this. And then he says, and, and then, and all of the, the things they were doing. But at the end of the chapter, in chapter 18, he says this. But as for you, you are to keep my statutes and judgments and shall not do any of these abominations. Neither the native nor the alien who sojourns among you. For the men of the land who had been before you have done all these abominations and the land has become defiled. The people were doing this already. Don't do that. When God gave the land to Canaan, he told the, people in, in, he told the Jewish people in no uncertain terms, wipe them out completely. Do not make a covenant with them. Do not intermarry with them. There's a reason why he said this, because if you do make a covenant, if you do live with them, they will turn your hearts away from me. 
and you will participate in the immorality they're already doing. The false gods of Canaan in which the people of God were to live were founded on an immoral lifestyle. And what this says about us and our dark heart is we are drawn to an immoral lifestyle. We are drawn to that. If we're honest, yes, we're drawn to that. That's why we have to come to God and say, God, I'm drawn to this. I need you. Cleanse my heart. One thing that the immoral lifestyle produces is death, brokenness, and trauma. There are many broken people ruined by the immorality that is lived out each day. We have poverty, conflict, hatred, and violence. In Malachi's day, he saw the men leaving their wives and marrying the women who love their false gods. King Solomon should have been their example. <laughs> King Solomon had married, uh, I think, what was it, 700 wives? And many of them, most of them, 90% of them, there were were foreign women who were worshiping false gods. And they did what? They turned Solomon's heart away from God. Why couldn't Solomon have brought the God to these women? Change their lives. It's like that one rotten apple ruins all the apples. Why can't all the good apples turn the one rotten apple good? It just never works that way, right? You know, all these good apples, here, put that rotten one in, and all become rotten. <laughs> Flip that switch. The one thing immorality attacks, though, with a vengeance is relationships. Relationships are the first to go because immorality is rooted in selfishness. The first commandment of the ten is clear. You shall not make yourself an idol. The, the first relationship in an immoral lifestyle to go is God's. Push him aside. The men who were divorcing their wives to marry foreign women were then coming to God to have them bless them in their new relationship. Malachi was saying, God will not bless you, but he will cut you off. You have rejected me in every way. You're not living the word. I tell you, live in God's word. And when you do, you'll bring life and peace. Number two, keep the vow you made for God is faithful. Let's look at chapter two, verse 13. This is another thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and with groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But not one has done so who is a remnant of the Spirit. And what did he, that one do while he was seeking a godly offspring? Take heed then to your spirit. Let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth. If you were to look in the Hebrew language, verse 15 is really difficult to interpret and translate, but you kind of got the spirit of it here. <laughs> In 1985, after leaving 2020, Geraldo Rivera was one of the top journalists in his game. You know, he was like at the top level. He was a journalistic investigator. I still remember watching that one time when he got punched. Do you remember seeing that one? <laughs> well, in a matter of moments in 85, Geraldo went from being a respected journalist to a laughing stock. Now, don't get ahead of me. Now, Geraldo Rivera claimed that he had found Al Capone's secret vault, and he would unearth the contents on national TV. By his own admission, Geraldo himself had no idea what was in the vault. Probably should have looked. Well, after more than an hour of hype, digging, and ad-libbing, the moment finally came, and as ex ex excavators moved back, opening the vault, 
The light's pouring in. Heraldor wondered out loud, what will we find? A cache of stolen money, bones, secret documents. When the vault was open, it was empty. The world is a lot like that. Lots of hype that encourages to invest our time, resources, and energy. And when the dust and dirt is finally cleared away, though the world's promises are as empty as Al Capone's vault, somehow we're still drawn to them. The empty promises of the world will not come through because our word is fickle. Our word is fickle and cheap. In Psalm 33, it says, The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. This reveals the futility of our words and the authenticity, whatever that word is, of God. Authenticity of God. The solid foundation of God's word is true, while the words of man are a sandy foundation ready to be wiped out. So let's live in his word. First thing, like father, like son. God called his people to be like him and act like him. God is faithful. God does not abandon you. He never leaves you nor forsakes you. What about us? Immorality is not faithful, but faithless. The men in Malachi's day were marrying foreign women and going for the younger women. Trophy wives, if you will. They were forsaking their wives simply because they wanted someone else. It was greener on the other side. The altar of God was flooded by the tears of the divorced women. In other words, the sacrifices the men were bringing were covered with the pain and hurt of the women which ruined the sacrifices. Why would God honor that? Remember what Christ said in Matthew 5, Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. You can't present your offering hoping God will justify your immoral actions. Go be reconciled. Isn't that one of the key things? Go and be reconciled. God will not justify our unrepentant actions. The offerings of the man in Malachi's day were presented with much conflict and no willingness to reconcile or repent. The sacrifices came with a broken life. Why would God honor that? God was the witness of their relationships, their marriage. He created marriage, and now, like today, His people are treating marriage flippantly, and like those other nations around them. If the people were so flippant with their relationship with each other, then their relationship with God would be no different. It's kind of like in Matthew 19. One of the Pharisees came out and says, can we divorce our wives for any reason? You could just almost hear Jesus sigh. Any reason? Really? And then he answers their question. And then Peter comes out and says, well, then it's better not to marry. <laughs> what? Are you saying? For any reason? Faithfulness is the hallmark of God's character. It's who he is. As I mentioned earlier, God was very particular about how you spoke because he's, the, he's in the business of truth. To engage God, to know him and live as he called us is really a calling to love. Faithfulness is love. It's love with power. 
God is faithful because he's love. God is faithful because that is who he is. As we follow God, live in his word, draw upon his strength to be faithful, being faithful becomes a second nature. In 2 Corinthians, Paul wrote, Do not be bound together with unbelievers for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness. And that's what, why are you doing this? Why are you abandoning your first, your wife? to go to these foreign women. The men of Malachi's day were no longer living as father, like father, like son, but rather like unrighteous father, unrighteous son. They were obeying the rules of the culture not rooted in the world. They were listening to their hearts, obeying their deceitful desires. And when that happens, faithfulness goes away. The sad fact is that in Malachi's day, the family was falling apart. Earlier in the chapter, we saw the priest not teaching the full truth of God's word, but partial instruction. No one was confronting the problems of unfaithfulness. As the family was falling apart, society began to crumble. It's interesting, the last verse of Malachi, there's a promise of restored family. Look at verse 6, 4 verse 6. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to the children and their hearts of the children to their fathers so I will not come and smite the land with a curse. Living in the word brings the family together and strengthens the family. So we live in his word. And finally, number three, truth is revealed in God, not your desires. Let's look at verse 16. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel, and him who covers his garment with wrong, says the Lord of hosts. So take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. You have wearied the Lord. You have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet you say, how have we wearied him? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or where is the God of justice? In Proverbs, interestingly written mostly by Solomon... Should have followed his own advice, I guess. <laughs> he said this, Drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and the rejoice in the wife of your youth. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? The one thing immorality hates is contentment. You cannot be content with this one person. You'll fight to find your contentment in God if immorality lives in your heart. One of the things we have to recognize is that we are weak when it comes to sin and immorality. We are easy prey to the enemy. We are led astray quickly by our desires. We are quick to get angry and slow to listen. We are prone to the message of our culture and society. Our minds can be deceived by the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. I say this not to to make you feel bad, but to recognize God's goodness and His grace. God knows our frailty and He invites us to come to Him to find strength and victory in Him and His Word. When we admit we are weak and easily led astray, we run to Him and find help. We run to Him and find our hope, our victory, our salvation, our message. In Christ, we can say no to temptation. We can say no to the message of the world. And we can say, I have a better message. God then fills your heart with His love and grace. He will fill your mind with His Word. God will bring healing to a broken world through you, where immorality has performed its terrible dance. 
So number one, contentment with godliness is great gain. Stealing from 1 Timothy 6.16. As Malachi surveyed his people and he saw the celebration of immorality, we are seeing that today, by the way, the celebration of immorality. He saw relationships destroyed. That's what we're seeing. He has seen marriages fall apart. That's what we're seeing. Then God says, I hate divorce. Divorce brings brokenness and ruin. It brings hurt and shame. It brings heartbreak and anger. You want revenge in your heart. Certainly in this situation, how the men were leaving their wives for someone younger, divorce is certainly egregious. Divorce, as it was played out, demonstrated that the man sought contentment without godliness. Women were simply abandoned, treated like property or product. If you brought the iPhone 2007, anyone buy that in 2007? You probably upgraded to the iPhone 3G 2008 and the iPhone 4 in 2010 and the iPhone 5 in 2012 and so on. If you still had the iPhone 5 in 2012, you'd probably say, I'm left out. Technology has built within it an attitude of discontent. You can't just buy one thing. Oh, I'm happy the rest of my days. I'll be satisfied for a moment, but not forever. An immoral society will treat relationships as we do technology with an attitude of discontent. God hates divorce, for built within divorce is discontent. In wedding, in a wedding, you make a vow. And then you live out that vow. In marriage, you promise. In the marriage vows, the traditional ones read this way. I, groom, take you, bride, to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward. For better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. In that vow is a commitment of contentment regardless of what my wife may go through or what I may go through. I will not treat my wife as technology or as a product. And the iPhone 7 is inferior to now the iPhone 14, if you got the new one. My wife is not inferior to any woman. And hopefully I'm not inferior to her. You see, when these marriages were falling apart in the culture, the culture embraced the reasoning for immorality. Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of God. When society begins to treat people like technology and products, discontentment grows. Immorality becomes the norm. And when the norm is accepted, then God's word becomes radical. His message is dangerous. So we change God's and we find a different word. In the meantime, anarchy sets in. And life and peace are nowhere to be found. Let me tell you something. In this town, just this town, immorality has already left a trail of broken people. Hurting, filled with shame, defeated, and dying. We live in God's word, faithfully, holy, and filled with his grace. Not to say that we're better, but to, let, to say this. Let me show you a more excellent way. The Christ way. Let me give you someone who will bring you out of your defeat and into the hope of God's goodness. Let us transcend our culture to heal the people who are broken and hurting. Our culture, our society, our town in Evanston needs God. Let's make sure we bring him to them. And let's live in his word. Let's pray. Father God, I... As I look at our society and culture and I see the hurt and the brokenness, I pray, Lord, you would fill us, your people, with your word, your spirit, that we would bring the message of Christ to them, to heal their wounds, to wipe their tear, and to simply love them.
and know that they're loved by you and that you would free them from the things that have damaged them. So come, Lord Jesus, fill our hearts and minds.